0: morning, actually, in Matthew, as we read from the same account, of, from St. Luke's account of the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness and this morning, and the gospel is now from the gospel of St. Matthew. And I just want to reflect with you on three points. The first one is that the, the account of our Lord's being driven into the wilderness and being tempted by Satan is, first of all, a divine and, we can say, even a cosmic conflict a divine and a cosmic conflict. And what it shows is that at the very beginning of our Lord's ministry, because this takes place immediately after his baptism, and before he begins his public ministry, and before, of course, his passion, and his death and resurrection, is that he is proclaiming, declaring, that there is indeed a sort of cosmic war, a cosmic battle that take, that is taking place between... God and the evil powers of the world. And so, the devil, of course, is not yet sure if this is indeed the Son of God. And so he comes because the the devil's worst enemy, of course, is God. It is is God in whom the devil's hatred is directed to. Uh, And then us, because we are in the image of God, and because we are, of course, the target of God's creative love, his redemptive love, his salvific love. But what we see in the account this morning is that there is in fact a war, there is in fact a conflict that's taking place and of course there's no no equality between God and Satan. It's not a a matter of a 50-50 sort of power struggle. Clearly of course the devil is a creature and his powers are limited. And his hatred and his vengeance and his guile and his malice and all of his trickeries that he throws at us and at the world are very limited. In fact, some of the saints they describe the devil as sort of a wild dog tied on a chain to a, to a tree stump or to a pole. He, 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 yes, he's frightening, he, he has a, a sort of scary growl or bark, but he's tied to a chain and he can only sort of run around himself and lash out at those who who pass by and of course the danger of course for us is that we don't get too close to be bitten by him but ultimately he's he's limited and he's weak and so the battle that takes place in the wilderness is the the victory that God declares to us and to the world that the devil is already defeated and so by, by the incarnation God sort of comes and, and occupies, maybe that's not the best word to use these days, but occupies the territory of, of the devil, which is the, the world. He is the prince of the world. And so he's had a certain reign and a certain um, permission that's been given him of the world because of the fall and because of the spread of evil by man's will. But there's a there is in fact a sort of uh, invasion that's taking place of the divine into the realm of Satan and into his stronghold over the world and over us, and he breaks those bonds. And so, when 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 Christ says, "Behold, I am coming," I am doing something new. I'm doing something new. Right? This is this is the beginning of the undoing of of the consequences of of the evil powers of this world. And so. When we think about this sort of battle, the, the word that is often used to describe this kind of war is an apocalyptic war. Now, the apocalypse, of course, is a word that is misused so much today. It means to, to many people, sort of this, you know, Armageddon and and, and uh, you know, sort of this uh, uh, unleashing of the of the, the end of the world and all of the destruction of the world. But the word apocalypse simply means an unveiling, a disclosure, an apocalypse. It's simply where the veil that is, is hiding something is removed and now we were able to to see or to experience what's beyond the veil so in a sense the, the incarnation and the death of Christ and his resurrection is an apocalypse it's an unveiling it's an unveiling of of, of what God is doing he's doing something new he's doing something great he's doing something beautiful so this theme, of course, begins today, but it, it, it also, it can, I don't want to say concludes, but it continues in another event which is very important, which is the descent of Christ into Hades. Because the, the point that, why does Christ go into Hades from the cross? Why at that moment? Why, why from the cross does he immediately go into Hades? Because it's the same apocalypse It's the same unveiling or disclosure that, that God is victorious. Not only is he victorious over Satan in this world, not only is he victorious over Satan and how he influences us and his control over us, but he is victorious over death and those who have been in prison in Hades and those who are waiting with, with, uh, with great expectation and hope for the coming of the Messiah. He breaks the bonds of, of death. And so, again, yes, it is an apocalypse. It is, it is a, a revelation of, of it, or a disclosure of what God is doing. And so, the, the importance of, of this event is not simply that the devil tempts the Lord with free temptation and he, he, he overcomes them. and It is an example for us today. Well, in in one of the accounts of of Matthew Gospel where Jesus uh, 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 exercises a demon from a demon possessed. He says, How can can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. What's he saying there? First of all, who is the strong man? Hmm? The devil. How can one enter a strong man's house? The devil. It's this house that we can say the world that he was, that he is the prince of the world over. Right? So Christ is like, he uses almost the image of a thief. Of one who comes to, to enter into a strong man's house. Yes, he has some strength. He has some power. He has some influence. But what does Christ do? He binds him. But not just binds him, but what does he do? He plunders his house. Well, who's in the house? Us. We're, we've been saved, we've been redeemed, we've been captured, we've been ransomed, we've been, we've been rescued, we've been liberated. That's what Christ is telling us today, is that, is that you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to worry about. The devil is just a, a, a wild dog tied on a chain now at this point but his house has been plundered. You have been taken out of that house, you've been rescued from that house, and I have too. There's a, there's a, a, a very beautiful story that I remember hearing about uh, one of our, our, our recently dip, uh, reposed blessed monastic fathers, Abu Nishnud al-Amdabshoy. Abu Nishnud al Choi was, uh, was a disciple, a deacon to Pope Carlos, and Pope Shanuda and was from that very beautiful generation, you know, that came out of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s, and he just reposed a few years ago, a couple of years ago, I believe. Abune Shur, Abune was, was, was an example of, of, of somebody whose whole life was trials and temptations, through illness, through persecution, through uh, conflicts within the church, conflicts at the highest levels of the church, uh, through being uh, forbidden from praying for, for long periods of time, all kinds of, of, of really difficult trials and temptations. And and again, and on top of that, many, many physical illnesses and sicknesses. And one day he was going back to his room and he was exhausted from, from the bombardment, from, from the warfare. And outside of his room, he had a large picture of Pope Provost, whom he, of course, he knew, and he served, and he loved. And he kind of knocked on the picture, and he said, Have you in heaven forgotten the children on earth? Are you enjoying yourselves in heaven? and, and Have you forgotten us on earth, the ones who are, are struggling, and in pain, and in sorrow? And he was upset, and he went to his room, and he laid down on the bed. And before he closed his eyes, the door opened and walked into the door, Hope for the list of six. And uh, he said, then why are you upset? Don't you know that all of these trials and all of these temptations are rewards and crowns for you? How else can you enter the kingdom of heaven? How else can you be crowned with glory in heaven unless you endure? So he said to him, Come. So he took him by the hand. And that he said he saw like the roof of the the ceiling of the room open and he began to ascend, ascend up and then he felt some, something very heavy pulling on his feet and he looked and it, it was the devil and the devil was trying to pull him back down and the was, was frightened of course the whole the whole scene is a very frightening scene to begin with. And then on top of that, of course, he's ascending to to to, to see something in paradise, we take it to paradise, and at the same time the devil is pulling him down. But what's interesting is that he says Pope was holding his staff. And he just smiled at the Bunishuda and he just went like this with his staff to the, <laughs> the devil and the devil fell from, from his grasp. And as if he was just a, a, a fly, a flea, you know, like an, an ant that he was just, there's nothing, there's nothing. Yes, was he frightening? Was I would frightened? Would any one of us have been frightened? Yes. But in reality, there's no comparison. And he was taken to paradise, he was shown something beautiful in paradise, maybe that was awaiting him for all of his trials and difficulties. And then he, he said, he, he, he felt himself falling back on his bed. He felt, he felt the, the pressure of, of, of one falling and landing on his bed. And, and, uh, and the vision was over. So it tells us, of course, on the one hand, uh, how impotent the devil is. He, he just barks. He just growls. He just, he, he pulls and tugs. But, but the divine power, the divine power just with a flick, know disperses the enemy disperses the enemy so so there's a cosmic divine battle that has taken place and it's already been won we're not waiting for for the victory it's already been won St. Paul in Colossians says he disarmed who disarmed Christ disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public spectacle or example of them trampling over them in him He made a public spectacle of them, he embarrassed them, he made a mockery of them. He he, he entered into the strong man, tied him up and plundered his house. And we are are the goods that have been saved, we are the, the, the reward. But the Gospel today also tells us about an inner conflict between us and ourselves, an inner warfare. So yes, there is a cosmic warfare that begins in the incarnation and in the descent the Hades, and ultimately overcome by the resurrection. But the gospel today also reveals to us about an inner conflict. And the three temptations are sort of, uh, they exemplify the three core conflicts within ourselves, the three core uh, kinds of warfare that accompany us in this life in this desert that we are all living in. We could say that the first one is a a form of self-indulgence, a a feeding of our self-love. The second one is the love of glory. And the third one is the love of possessions. And the response that Christ gives in all three temptations is to refer back to God. As simple as, that is, simple as that is, he underlines for us the core of the problem. By, by every temptation, by referring back to God, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. By referring back to God, he's revealing to us the problem with the sin itself, or with the temptation itself, which is the forgetfulness of God. The reason why these three temptations, or these three four sort of or passions accompany us at every corner of our life is simply because we take our gaze off of God. We, we we look away from God. And as soon as we look away from God, we are going to look to ourselves to satisfy our own desires. We are going to look to achieve our own self-deification, our own self- redemption, our own you know, somehow exalt ourselves apart from God, to, to save ourselves apart from God through our own vainglory, or we will try to acquire as many things as we can to comfort us, to comfort us in this valley of tears that we're all in. So the problem is the forgetfulness of God, and the answer that he gives in each three of the temptations is to just simply refer back to God. He's not saying, for example, man shall not live by bread. No, man lives by bread. Man must live by bread. Without bread, man dies. But he's simply saying, man must not live by bread alone. And so he's telling us that, and this is, of course, the the season in which this is the the appropriate time for us to really focus on this, that every time we deny ourselves, and Archie spoke about this last week, every time we deny ourselves uh, something that we enjoy to eat, The idea is not simply to punish ourselves, but it's to remember why we're fasting. By by not eating bread alone, I should be thinking about eating another kind of bread, or partaking of another kind of bread. The Word of God, the Eucharist, it's the Spirit of God. So the the time of fasting is, is a reminder for us. To look at those things that can become sort of myopic in our life. You know, where we, we just have a sort of tunnel vision. And we get so caught up in these, these things. Whether it's satisfying the desires of the flesh. Whether it's seeking honors and glory and, and titles and power. And, or whether it's acquiring lots of things. To sort of comfort ourselves. The, the answer is simply to look at those things in the light of God, to see them as good and beautiful things. God wants to give us the bread. He wants to give us honor. He wants to give us things that that make us happy and and that accompany us and and satisfy us and secure us, put a roof over our head and, and, and secure our futures. These are not bad things. But he wants us simply to remember that man shall not live by bread alone. In the book of Deuteronomy, this is uh, the same advice. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Give heed to yourself, pay attention, and keep your soul diligent, on guard, watchful, so that you do not forget the things which God has shown you, has done for you, has revealed to you, has accomplished for you. That He has already plundered the strong man's house, and that He has redeemed you, and brought you into a spacious place in the city. And this is why the why did the Israelites spend 40 years in the desert? Because they just, they, they had to struggle to remember God and to keep the remembrance of God. And until they were able to do that, they just kept going in circles on a journey that shouldn't have taken a tenth of the amount of time that it did. So we could say that all three of these temptations are simply temptations that represent the forgetfulness of God. And they entice us to sort of remove the lordship of God from our life, the lordship of God, his his sovereign lordship and and, and his reign in my life. Call him king of peace. He's not just the king of peace because he's a king of, of, of of a kingdom. He's also the king of my heart and your heart. The final point, the third point, is actually going back to the very beginning of the gospel today. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And other translations. the first Adam caused in that sequence but he's redoing something that can never be broken again And and in that sense his humanity receives the spirit he secures it for us and he shows us in the wilderness that there's nothing for us to be afraid of because each one of us now is like living that life of Christ in ourselves. Now, we are now recapitulating the life of Christ. We are now repeating in our life, the life of Christ. Jesus was baptized, we are baptized. Jesus was driven into the wilderness. You and I right now today, at this very moment, are in the wilderness. And Jesus conquered Satan in the wilderness, and we will conquer Satan in the wilderness. Not because of our strength, but because of his strength. Not because we won't fall, but because we have repentance, we have redemption. So it's, it's it. The, the, the bonds of Satan are broken. Even sin itself. Even if we fall a thousand times a day, the devil has lost. There's only one thing that God asks of us: is to give our lives to Him. To give our lives to Him. Give your life to, your life to God, and no matter how weak you are, no matter how many th- how many struggles you have, no matter how many temptations you endure no matter how many times you've sinned and falling in those temptations but if you keep reaffirming that your life belongs to god there's no way it's impossible for him to let go of you it's impossible for him to be to exhaust him his, his mercy to be exhausted the battle is already won it's already done we are just holding our ground and to hold our ground doesn't mean to become sinless To hold our ground means to to trust God, to to cling to Him, to come back to Him, to remember Him. That's it. The spiritual life is easy. It's not hard. We make it very difficult. We, we, We complicate the spiritual life. But if every day we wake up and we say, Lord, my life belongs to You. Have mercy on me. This is enough for Him to secure you. Just say it from your heart. I'll just end with this beautiful quote. By one of the the contemporary spiritual fathers, he says, "When man experiences in his when man experiences his own barrenness, when he is most in need, that is the time of the decisive crisis. Will he accept easy, immediate remedies and compromise his vocation as a child of God, or will he wait in silence and privation, fasting from all the world has to offer for the perfect length of God's pleasure, represented by the forty days and nights?" that recapitulate Israel's historical wandering in the desert. So that the, the, the crisis in the desert, when, when, when one is uh, in the desert, in a real desert, you us say you've been dropped off in the middle of a vast desert, and you have no food, you have no drink, you have no support, you have no helicopter that's going to come rescue you, you have two choices. Either to trust in God or to curse God. That's it. Everything else is stripped from you. you. That's all you have. You have that decisive decision, that decisive uh, movement of your heart. And for us, that decisive decision is: Will I remain a child of God? Do I accept every day to remain a child of God, or will I succumb to renounce my my citizenship for all of the pleasures and all of the because of all of the temptations that are? That's the question in the desert. That's the answer that, that Christ answers for us through these three temptations. May our Lord Jesus Christ, who fasted for us 40 days and 40 nights, in a mystery ineffable, grant us to remain always in this sonship and, and give us victory now and ever unto the age of you.